0: They'll rejoin us towards the end of service. Again, so good to have you here this morning. Thank you for being with us. My name is Andy Langdon, one of the pastors here, and just grateful to be able to be here with you and to open God's Word as we see what He has to say from, uh, for us from the book of Matthew. If this is your first time here, we are walking through the book of Matthew, um, verse by verse. We have been for the last several weeks, and we'll continue to do so for the next several weeks. And this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 27-27 to 30 this morning is where we'll be. Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 27 through 30. Let me go ahead and read that to us, then we'll jump into it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. These are the words of Jesus as recorded by Matthew, driven along by the Holy Spirit. He says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's go to the Lord in prayer if we could. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word divides to the very deepest parts of who we are, exposes the deepest parts of who we are, and heals the deepest parts of who we are. God, we pray this morning that your Spirit would freely move in our hearts, in our minds, opening the Scriptures that we might be able to see what you have for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, just a quick reminder, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. These chapters in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is an extended sermon that Matthew records to us of Jesus. And we saw at the beginning of this that Jesus lays out blessings for those who are in the kingdom of God, those he has blessed in a relationship with himself. And as those who are blessed by being in a relationship with God, he lays out for them how their life is to be lived, what it looks like. For those who are to be blessed. And then Jesus follows that up with this idea of being salt and light, that those who are followers of Jesus, those who have been blessed, those who have been brought into right relationship um, with God, live that out boldly in front of the world. So that the world knows that we have been blessed by God, living as salt and light in front of the world. And then Jesus begins to go after that to say, listen, I've not come to abolish the law. Don't think for a second that I've come to set the law aside. I've actually come to fulfill the law. And then he begins kind of one after another talking about some laws and saying, this is how you have heard it. This is how you have applied it. This is how you've been taught this for many, many generations. But Jesus goes deeper in these verses. Jesus goes broader in these verses. Jesus said there's something bigger going on than just merely following the letter of the law. There's a spirit of the law. There's a desire in the law. There's a heart of the law that needs to be followed as well. Last week, we talked about anger, and that's not just about don't murder people. It's about what's going on in your heart that's bringing about this kind of anger. This morning, we're talking about adultery. And Jesus begins this passage again by saying, you have heard it said, And then goes on to say, but I say to you, you have heard that this is the law, but I say to you there's something bigger going on here. This morning, if you want to follow along, if you have notes there in front of you, if not, there should be some on the resource table in the back. I just kind of want to give us a summary paragraph of where we're heading this morning. This is the question for this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, these few verses is, where does my heart rest? Jesus is warning in this passage that resting your heart— In anything other than God is dangerous and even deadly. That we must fight hard to rest our desires in God alone, trusting Him to satisfy our every need. What I want us to see in this passage, what I think Jesus is warning us here in this passage of Scripture, is there's something deeper going on than just not committing adultery. There's something going on in our hearts. That if left alone, will lead to committing adultery. And if left alone, will lead to being separated from God for all eternity. And what I think Jesus is combating here in this passage of Scripture, I think with all of these kind of verses here, is that oftentimes with these sins, we lessen the danger and we blame others. We lessen the danger. We say it's, it's not as big a deal as people might make it out to be. It's not that big a deal. We kind of lessen it and say it's not really that dangerous. And then we have a tendency to say, well, I might struggle with this, but the reason is because of something outside of myself, because of someone outside of myself. That we lessen the danger and we begin to blame others. Forgive me if I've told this story before, but I think it bears repeating in this particular um, passage of Scripture. You've heard me say, I mean, several weeks ago that I am confessing publicly that I was a pyromaniac, right? I stand by that. I'm still struggling with that. I have not recovered from that. It is still true of me several weeks later. When I was younger, my cousin and I thought it was a grand idea to go behind our house. There's a wood pile there, and we thought it was a wonderful idea to play with matches— and to see how big of a fire we could get of this dead leaf pile directly connected to the wood pile behind my house. Fast forward, short answer, it can get pretty big pretty fast. And so in the midst of this, my cousin and I were in the back. I was probably eight or ten years old, way older than I should have been to know this was a very stupid idea to be doing this. In the midst of this, we start small, right? We take one match and one leaf. And that one leaf lights very quickly and goes high, and smoke comes out, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and I want more. One leaf is not enough. Let's try four or five. Guess what happens? They light up really quickly. There's a big ball of fire. Smoke comes out. It's amazing. There's a big leaf pile over there. If this was fun, if this gave great beauty, how much more beautiful will it be to light this whole light leaf pile on fire? And like idiots— We did it, and we lit it on fire. And very quickly, we realized this was a terrible mistake. We have gotten ourselves into way more trouble than we ever imagined we have. And what should I have done in that moment was run to my parents and say, I need help. What did I do? Walked very slowly into the house, thinking to myself, all right, what do I need to say? What do I need to say? In the meantime, flames coming up from behind our house. And I go into my house, and my dad was in the laundry room. I said, hey, dad. Um, Scott and I were in the back, and we lit a few things on fire. We could use some help. (laughs) My dad comes out, sees the ball of fire in the back, thankfully puts all of that out in the midst of that, and the fire goes out. It's saved. The wood pile is saved, but very closely in a lot of danger. And the reason I share that story is because in that moment, what I came to do in the middle of that moment was two things to my dad that could have led to catastrophe— The first thing was, is I blamed my cousin for the fire. I said, Scott and I, right? I didn't say me. Scott and I, who's two or three years older than I, so he should have told me not to do this. Scott and I started this fire and we could use a little help. What I should have said was, I started a fire. It's out of control. I need your help now. That's what I should have said, but I didn't. In the midst of this sermon, in the midst of these verses of Scripture, what I want us to see in all of this as we walk through this is that whatever is going on in our hearts this morning, the right response to that is, I started a fire. It's out of control. I need help to not set it aside, to not act like it's not that big a deal, to not act like I've got this under control myself, to not act like this is not going to be, end all that, that dangerously in the end, to not blame others for my problems, but to look into my heart and to say clearly to the Lord, I did this. I need help. What I want us to share with us this morning is three things, if you're following along. The first thing I want us to say is we need to take responsibility for our choice. We take responsibility for our choice. Secondly, we take notice of the cause. We take notice of the cause. And finally this morning, we take drastic measures to combat. So first this morning, let's look with me, if you will. Let's look at number one. Let's take responsibility for choice. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And before we go any further, before you kind of check out of this sermon and say, well, that's not for me. I don't struggle with that. I'm a woman. I'm whatever. I don't, these aren't things for me. I want to broaden a little bit this definition of lust. Because I think oftentimes we immediately, I think rightfully, connect lust with sexual desire, that we make that click connection and, and we kind of stay there. That's the only thing that lust means is, is sexual desire that's out of place, that's, that's been perverted in some way, that's been bigger than what it's supposed to be. But I think we can see in Scripture that lust is not simply that kind of sexual desire, but it's anything that I long for and, ad- and desire that dishonors God and dishonors my neighbor. Anything that I want That by getting that, by longing for that, I end up dishonoring God and dishonoring my neighbor. So I can lust for a woman sexually in a wrong way. I can also lust for another house. I can lust for a better job. I can lust for a better reputation. I can lust for more money. I can desire something And dishonor God and my desiring of it. And so as we read through this passage of scripture, I want us to not just check out and say, well, I don't struggle with the sexual kind of lust. And so this verse isn't applicable to me. No, it is. That anything that we rest our heart in, anything that we tune our brains to and stay there that ends up dishonoring God or my neighbor is lust and it must be eradicated from my heart. The passage of Scripture says very clearly from the beginning, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, Jesus starting big, starting broadly and saying, listen, you've, you've heard this was what it said. You've heard the Scripture say this. You've heard the law give this. You've heard the commandments give this. And it's a good thing. But Jesus, as the true authority, as the true lawgiver, as the one who is supreme, says, but I say to you, here's the spirit of the law. Here's what's going on deeper than just the mere keeping of the commandment. He goes on to say, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. The word here, intent, the word here, lustful intent, means basically, where does my heart rest? What does my mind think on? What do I circle on in my brain again and again? What do I rest my heart on? And so Jesus is saying here, specifically, for someone to look at a woman And their desire, their intent, their heart rests on lust, their mind settles on lust. This is as dangerous as committing adultery. This is on par with the danger and the difficulty of committing adultery. And so, as we walk through this, I want us to see that we need to take responsibility for choice. We need to take responsibility for the choice of where we rest our hearts of where my mind settles, of what keeps circling in my heart again and again, what keeps circling in my brain again and again. I have a choice in that matter. I get to choose what I meditate on. I get to choose what my my heart rests on. What we think on and what we allow our hearts to rest on is a choice. What we need to understand here is that we can't control every passing thought that comes through our brain. We can't control everything that passes in front of our eyes. We can't control those things. But I can control if I pause and if I rest on that. I can control if I allow my mind to wander. If I allow my imagination to go further. If I allow my lustful desires to go out of control. If I light another match and say, let's see how big this fire can get. I can control that. The choice is mine. You see, Jesus doesn't say here, everyone who looks at a woman has already committed adultery. He doesn't say that. That would be a ridiculous thing to say. But Jesus does say clearly, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, who looks at that woman, who looks at that thing, and allows your heart to circle back and to say, I would love to have that. I don't have what I think that I want. I want some of that to rest and to circle on that, to allow your mind to recycle it again and again. We have that choice. And I am responsible for the choice that I make to trust God and to see others not as an object to manipulate, or as, but as image bearers made with dignity and value. You see, what I see in the life of Jesus, and we know about Jesus, is Jesus was perfect in every way. The book of Hebrews tells us, we see in his life, that Jesus was without sin. And Jesus, we see in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So there were opportunities for Jesus to lust, to look at women with lustful intent. The opportunities were there. But Jesus, by his choice, chose to look away. Chose to look into his heart and to see that person as made in the image of God with value and with dignity, not as an object to be manipulated or to be used. And so for us, we can't control the things that we see all the time. We can't control the the passing things that go in our brain all the time. But we can control without a shadow of a doubt how quickly that thought passes out of our brain. How quickly that image goes away from our sight. We can make that choice. And Jesus is saying here to be careful of that, of where your heart rests, of what distracts you, of what you circle back to. This past week, and I'm going to share all kinds of weird things about me this morning. Another thing that I really love to do, not only to start fires, I love to watch people mow. That's weird, isn't it? I love it. I don't know why. I find myself at times just sitting and staring. I like the lines. I like the way that you can complete it. You see how it starts and how it ends. I like to watch people mow. This past week, I took Keith over to a friend's house, and he was mowing their lawn, and I was working on my sermon in the, back, in the backyard um, while he was mowing. But in reality, I was doing this. Just watching him go back and forth, back and forth. Supposed to be focusing on my sermon. Supposed to be focusing on the things in front of me. But this thing passed in front of my eyes, and I made the conscious choice in that moment to disengage from what I was doing and to re-engage with this other thing that was distracting me. I made that choice. It would be ridiculous of me to go over to Keith and to stop his mower and say, stop mowing, I'm trying to work on a sermon. I'm distracted by your mowing, stop it. You're mowing too well, stop it. I need to focus on my sermon. It would be ridiculous for me to do that. But in that moment, I said, I am distracted and it's my fault. I have chosen to engage on something other than what was good and what was, uh, what was proper in that particular moment. And for us, when we think about lusts and we think about women and we think about our hearts and we think about all of those things that we have the choice. Say, what am I going to rest my heart on? What am I going to trust in? What am I going to engage with? Am I going to engage with this lustful thought or am I going to engage with the things that honors the Lord? And some of us I think this morning need to take ownership of our choices. It's going to be blunt this morning. Some of us just need to take ownership of our choices. Some of us have have lessened our lustful intent, have lessened the struggle in our heart to just, well, I'm just normal. I'm a red-blooded male. This is what I need. It's normal for us. I couldn't help it. It was, this was going on, or this was going on, or I was tired, or I was hungry, or whatever it is. And some of us just need to own up to it and say, I made this choice. This is who I am. This is what I have done. You see in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18 and verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I think there are some of us sitting here this morning who look sincerely but foolishly at God and say, I thank you I'm not like other men. I thank you that I've not actually committed adultery. I thank you that I've not actually gone through with the desires that I'm circling in my brain. I thank you But I'm not like this other guy who did this thing and broke up his family. I thank you that I'm not like this. Some of us this morning need to look God square in the face and say, I've made these choices. I confess them to you as dangerous. The intent was there. I rested on this thing way longer than I should have. I've circled this thing in my brain way longer than I should have. I've clicked way too many times. I've blamed way too many people. I made this choice. We must confess the choices that lured us away. Again, I don't want to—I'm not trying to beat us up this morning, but I think this is serious for us. I think too many of us take this way too lightly. And we think we've not just fulfilled the action that that I'm fine because I've not done the outward thing. But we need to confess that we were lured away. We were the ones that kept looking. We were the ones that kept putting ourselves in compromising positions. We were the ones that didn't ask for help. We were the ones that minimized the problem. We were the ones that blamed others for what was going on. We were the ones that kept clicking. We were the ones that looked back for a second glance. We were the ones who did this. And so I need to confess to the Lord. I need to say, I made this choice. I'm responsible for my choice. I let my heart rest where it shouldn't have rested. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 He tells us the danger of unchecked choices. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is telling us here, you have a choice. When the desire comes, you have a choice in that moment. Set aside that desire for the sake of God, for holiness, for righteousness, or continue down the path that leads to death. The choice is yours. Because if left unchecked, that sinful desire will keep pulling you along until it kills you. Its desire, its goal is your death. It's your destruction. It is not your pleasure. It is not your joy that it is after. It is not your satisfaction that it is after. It is after your death. And it will stop until nothing until you are dead. But we in the spirit have the choice to say, I will not be lured. I will not give in to this desire. I will not allow my heart and my mind to rest on these things. I'm going to give it over to you. As those who know Jesus, we've been given the Spirit of God to help us and connect us with supernatural, supernatural power. We can choose to say no to lustful intent and yes to true worship. By those who are in Christ, we now have the power to do that. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Do we see the choice? I can present my body to unrighteousness and to sinfulness, or I can present my body to God as an act of worship. Paul goes on to say, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. For those of you who are in Christ this morning, those of you who are struggling with lustful intent, those of you who are struggling with adultery, those of you who are struggling for longing for things that God is not desiring to give you, those of you that are struggling with perverting a good thing and making it an evil thing, there is hope for you this morning. It will not have dominion over you Because God has given you his spirit. He has given you grace to help you to make the choice to say no to evil and to say yes to righteousness. So, my question for you this morning is what choices are you making? What are you allowing your mind to rest on? What are you letting your heart, where are you letting your heart come to rest? Some of us need to deal with that this morning and say, what choices am I making? I need to confess that I'm making these choices, that I brought this on myself because of the choices that I'm making. I need to take responsibility for my choices. Secondly, this morning, not only do we need to take responsibility for our choices, number two, we need to take notice of the cause. So why am I making these choices? That needs to be the next question. Why am I lingering longer than I should? Why is my heart resting where it is? Why is my brain circling on this thought again and again and again? Why is this happening? Look with me at verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, and then in verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin. This word here, causes, in the Greek means it's to stumble, it's a trap, it's a snare. If there's something in your life that is snaring you, that is trapping you, that is causing you to stumble, we need to take notice of that. Where it's coming from, what's causing that, what is setting the snare, if you will. What is setting the trap, if you will. And I think we need to see very deeply that it's not merely our eye, though it shows itself there. It's not merely our hand, though it shows itself there. The cause of our choices is our heart's. Our hearts desire, and our hearts can make the choice to desire what comes from God and what, does, what doesn't come from God. The cause is our hearts. But Before I get to that, I want to say very clearly what isn't the cause, what is not the cause of our sinful choices to go against God. First and foremost, what is not the cause? God is not the cause. I know it sounds ridiculous to say that. I know it sounds simple to say that, but I want to say very clearly, God is not the cause of your sin. God is not tempting you. God is not taking something from you and saying, here's something sinful in its place. God is not doing that. Do not blame God for the choices that you make. James tells us again in James chapter one, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God does not tempt you. God is not the one leading you astray. Your heart is doing that. What else is, the, is not the cause of our sin? Man, let me be very clear about this. Women are not the cause of our sin. It is degrading and demeaning and devaluing to our sisters to say, you made me do this. You dressed a certain way you said a certain thing, you acted in a certain way, and if you had not done those things, I would not have sinned. That is evil. Women are not the cause of our choices, men. We must take responsibility. How do, as men, do we be men? First and foremost, we say, I made this choice. That's how we be men. That's how we lead. That's how we show respect. That's how we show honor, is to take responsibility for our choices and not try to shift blame. And to say, if you had done something else, I wouldn't have done this. Women are not the cause of our choices. Our circumstances are not the cause of our choices. It's not to say, well, if I would not been alone, this wouldn't have happened. If I had not been tired, this wouldn't have happened. If I would be able to be with my wife more often, this wouldn't have happened. If my job wouldn't have taken away from me, this wouldn't have happened. If I wouldn't have been sick, this wouldn't have happened. Your circumstances are not to blame. Your circumstances are not the cause. What's the cause? It's my heart. My heart is the cause. I desire something, and in my sinfulness, I will do whatever it takes to get that thing which I desire. Even if it means hurting people. Even if it means degrading people even if it means devaluing people. I will go after that thing because that's what I want. It may not be a surprise to you again, but I've gained a little weight over the last three or four months. You may have noticed. If you haven't, you're lying. I've gained a little weight over the last three or four months. Three or four months ago, I was running consistently, got a heel injury, have not been able to run. And so in my choice, I think not only am I not going to run, but to fix that, I should probably eat more ice cream. That's a better solution to that. I need more desserts to fix this thing. I need to eat later at night, like immediately before I close my eyes. I need to have like three bowls of cereal. That's, that's the choice that I should probably make in the middle of that. And it'll be ridiculous for me in this moment to blame the ice cream and to say, well, the packaging was just so beautiful. The marketing was so amazing. The flavor is exactly what I wanted. If they hadn't have done those things, I would not have eaten the whole carton of it. I would not have indulged myself in it night after night after night. How foolish. And we wouldn't stand for that for a second, would we? We would look at me and say, you're an idiot. You're dumb. Why are you saying that? The reason you've gained weight is because you eat garbage and you don't exercise. It's your fault. That's why you do this. But for many of us, when we're struggling with this, our gut reaction is to push outside of ourselves. And to say, it's outside of me. This is why this is happening. This happened out here. They said this, or they looked like this, or whatever it was. And we kind of giggle about that or laugh about that and diminish that. And we don't call that as foolish as we should. We kind of go into it too far. And instead, as foolish as it would be to blame the ice cream, it's as foolish for me to blame God or to blame a woman or to blame my circumstances for my sinful choices. It's in my heart that this is happening. We see in the book of Mark, Jesus says, whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart or from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and they defile a person why do i have lustful intent because lustful intent is in my heart why do i struggle with sin because sin is in my heart why do i envy Why do I want something that God doesn't want for me? Because sin is in my heart. It's not out here. Let me be very clear about this at the end of the day, and hear me very clearly about this. Pornography is not the problem. Our evil hearts is the problem. Pornography did not create our evil hearts. Our evil hearts created pornography. The reason that we struggle with, the reason that these things exist, is because our hearts and the evil inside of them created them to fulfill these kinds of desires. And so it's foolish for us, again, to blame something outside of us. Don't get me wrong. That's evil, and it needs to be destroyed. And it's destroying our culture, and it's destroying our families, and it's destroying marriages. It needs to be destroyed. But that's never going to fix the problem unless our hearts are also changed, unless something drastic goes on inside of our hearts. So my question is with us, what am I filling my heart with? What am I giving my attention to? What's causing this evil desire? What's causing this lustful intent in my heart? Is it pride? Is it fear? Or is it just plain old selfishness? I want what I want, and I want it now. And I'll get it however I need to get it. So my heart, my question for us, my desire for us this morning is to check our hearts To examine our hearts. Paul already read this morning from Scripture and prayed for that, that we would examine our hearts, that we would see what's going on in our hearts, that God would bring to light what's going on in our hearts, that we can confess it and we can have him to help us. Finally this morning, number three, we need to take drastic measures to combat it. Take drastic measures to combat it. Look with me again in verses 29 and 30. Jesus finishes his thought about a right eye and the right hand. If your right eye causes you to sin, what does he say? Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. What does Jesus say about our right hand if it causes us to sin? Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Why do we need to combat sin so immediately and so decisively? Because Jesus sees the end of the path. He sees the end. He sees that without exaggeration, the end of unrepentant sin is hell. It's not a bad day. It's not even a broken marriage. It's not even a loss of a job. It is hell. Torment and fire forever for those who sin and do not look to Jesus as their hope and as their help. And so why is Jesus so decisive and say, cut your eye out and throw it away. Cut your hand off and throw it away. Because he loves us desperately. Because he loves us with with a great, unbelievable love to take us down this path to say, this is where this is heading and we must get get it off. We must nip it in the bud as quickly as possible. So what does that mean for us? It means very simply that if we're struggling with pornography, we get rid of the source. If we're looking on our phones, if we're looking on our computers, we chuck the phones in the computers. If we're struggling with those kinds of things, whatever is bringing about an opportunity, we get ourselves away as quickly as possible from what is giving us those opportunities, no matter how inconvenient it is for you. No matter how embarrassing it is for you. Cut it off. Pluck it out. Throw it away. For the sake of your soul. Get it out of your life. As quickly as possible. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Let me kind of say another thing about members. For it is better for you to lose your entire reputation than your whole body be thrown into hell. It is better for you to lose the respect of your friends than your whole body be thrown into hell. It is better for you to lose your role in life, your job, whatever it is, than your whole body be thrown into hell. It is better for you to lose every earthly thing for the sake of your soul. We need to be dramatic. We need to be drastic. We need to be immediate in our measures. But these measures in and of themselves will never be enough. Let me be clear. Do something now. Don't wait. Don't put it aside. Do whatever you need to do right now. If you need to get rid of your internet, you need to get rid of your phone, need to confess it to somebody, do it now. But those things in and of themselves will never change your heart. How do we deal with this ultimately? How do we deal with this in a lasting, life-altering way? First, I want to say very clearly, there is hope and there is help. If you would with me, if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. When we're struggling, when lustful intent comes in our hearts, when we're wrestling with sin, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 9, or just chapter six, verses 9 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, no adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If you have a pen, if you have a pencil, if you have something, a highlighter, I want you to highlight these next few words. And such were some of you. Were. 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 Why is that so important? Because it gives us hope that I can set aside the sin is in my life, that is in my life. It gives me hope that I can be something different than what I am right now. It gives me hope that I can overcome the thing that I'm struggling with in my life. That such were some of you. And how did they become worse? How did they become someone who's, I'm no longer those things. Go on with me, it says. But you were what? Washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. How were you changed? God changed you. Through the power of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can say boldly, I used to be this. I used to struggle with this. I used to let my heart and my mind rest on this, but not anymore because I have been sanctified, I've been justified, I've been set aside because of what Christ has done in my life, because of the Spirit of God in my life. How do we overcome this ultimately? In and of your own strength, you will never overcome it. How's that for good news? How's that for great hope? Your effort will not rescue you. It won't. Your diligence, you're canceling your subscriptions, you're asking people for help, you're reading your Bible, you're coming to service, you're praying in your own strength will not rescue you. It won't. What will rescue you? The Spirit of God will rescue you. The Spirit of God will change your heart. The Spirit of God will change your mind. The Spirit of God will let your eyes bounce. Your Spirit of God will say, no, I'm not going to rest there today. The Spirit of God will say, no, I don't desire those things any longer. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. We see in Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The apostle Paul tells us, how do I get rid of this thing? Jesus tells us, how do I get rid of this thing? Enabled by the spirit, we cut off dramatically, dramatically, quickly, immediately, anything that is providing an opportunity for us to dwell on things that we ought not to dwell on. And the Apostle Paul tells us it's not enough to set aside something. We must replace that as well. We must replace those thoughts as well. And where do we replace those thoughts from? As we have our, our eyes and our hearts set on things above, set on heavenly things. And I let that fill my mind. I rest on those truths. I rest in those things. My mind circles those again and again and again. How do I overcome the lustful intent in my heart? How do I say no to this? How do I confess that I need help with this? Here's how we do it. Spirit-enabled, word-centered, gospel-driven, Jesus-honoring effort. That's how it happens. Let me say it again. How do I overcome the sin in my heart? Spirit-enabled, word-centered, gospel-driven, Jesus-honoring effort. I work as hard as I possibly can with the strength the Spirit gives me, driven by the word, driven by grace and by truth. And I will see success and victory in my life. Some of us this morning just need to be clear. Some of us have started fires that have grown out of control. And we're working desperately to hide the fire. We're working desperately to diminish its effect on our lives. To act like it's not that big a deal. Some of us this morning need to run, run to the Lord and say, I started a fire. It's out of control. I need help. Some of you need to run to your spouse and say, I started a fire. It's out of control. I need help. Some of us need to run to your parents and say, I started a fire. It's out of control. I need help. And Jesus stands in victory to help you. He stands in victory to say, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are struggling with this, and I will give you rest, and I will allow your hearts and your minds to rest on me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for just the warning that this passage of scripture gives us. And the hope that we have, that Jesus, you can heal us, that you can redeem us, that you can make what was once destroyed, you can make new again. We pray, God, that we would humbly look to you, humbly search our hearts, humbly expose, God, what we have tried to hide. Humbly ask for help and know that you will give us every bit of help that we need to overcome this sin to not just to say no to sin, but also to say yes to godliness, to live lives that are holy and righteous, obedient to you, demonstrating to the world that our rest and our trust is not in anything this world has to offer, but only in God alone. ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You would please stand with us for this last.